0: your blood flowing before you get up to preach. One of those is to be led in in excellent songs that really prepare our minds for what we're about to consider. Thank you, Justin, for those great songs, especially the last one. It is uh, very much appropriate uh, whenever we consider what we're going to look at this evening. But then secondly is to have a great number of guests from different places that have traveled even some distant ways, some that come from other states even, uh, granted their family, so I don't know if they get as much credit. They really love Katie. They really love their their younger cousins. But we are thankful for for all guests, family. Some, I believe, from Murfreesboro as well are here. Thank you all so much for taking time on a Monday night to be here and to encourage this church. I hope that you are encouraged by your time being here with this good congregation this evening. If you have a Bible, I hope that you do. I hope you'll join me in Philippians chapter 2, please. Philippians chapter 2 is where we're going to begin This evening, we'll be coming back here towards the end of the lesson, our considerations. But Philippians chapter 2, I want to look at just a few verses of what Paul writes to those Christians who are in Philippi concerning how they relate to others. Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. Philippians 2 in verse 1. If there is any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship with the Spirit... If any affection and mercy, make my joy complete. By thinking the same way, having the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not look out only for his own interest, but also for the for the interest of others we read this text and and the meaning is extremely clear i believe it would be very difficult for us to read this text and, and come away confused by what paul is trying to say originally to the brethren in philippi but also to us by extension who are reading today, that he wants for those of Philippi, that he wants all disciples to be a people who are united in love, who are united in spirit, who are united in purpose. And if they are able to do this, if they are able to seek for these things, then there's a great benefit. And the great benefit is that it is going to have a positive impact on the way that we deal with one another. Simple as that. If we will strive to be a people who love one another, who have the right spirit with one another, who seek the right purposes with one another, then we are going to be just fine in the way that we build and develop our relationships. But sadly, we understand that though these instructions here are simple, though they are understandable, though these instructions are achievable, I'm sure I'm not the only person here who has ever experienced a poor or negative relationship. Why is it that we read what the Bible says here in Philippians 2? Why is it that we read in other places what the Bible says about how we are to treat other people, and yet we still experience bad relationships? Where is the disconnect? Where do the problems arise? You know, many people have asked that question. Why is it that I have bad relationships with other people? And that question is asked so often that a lot of people have actually made a good bit of money on trying to answer this question. Uh, How many people here have read those self-help books on how to have better relationships with other people? I'm sure many of us have. Many men have written many different books, but there is one book. One book that I have read that paints the picture in a way that I've never quite seen before A book that to me has been more beneficial than any other book that has ever been written on this subject. And no, I'm not talking about the Bible, though we will get around to that. I'm talking about a a book written not by inspiration, but just from the mind of men. And that book is called Leadership and Self Deception by the Arbinger Institute. Arbinger Institute, excuse me. This book is not a religious book, it is a purely secular, really business type book. And it's written in a narrative form, so it's very easy to read. And what this book does is it takes you through a story of a man named Tom. And Tom begins a new job with a new business, and he has this boss named Bud. And Bud requires that all of his upper-level management team, that they each individually come in and they sit down with Bud, and they allow Bud to speak to them for a day. And within this day, the objective is for Bud to be able to inform these new managers of a problem, a problem that they have, the new managers, and in fact, a problem that all people have, whether they're a manager in this business or not. Everyone who lives, they have this particular problem, and this problem is so vital to address because if unchecked, it will lead not just to the ruin of their company, but it will lead to the ruin of every relationship that we have in this life. Now, if I ask you right now, that seems pretty extreme, does it not? We'd probably say, yeah, that's that's pretty crazy. That each of us have the exact same problem that could lead to absolute ruin whenever it comes to our relationships. But while it is extreme, let me suggest to you that the issue itself is simple. And even more than that, these solutions are simple. But here's the issue. The issue is that each of us naturally find ourselves in boxes. And within these boxes, these individual boxes, I have my box and Tom has his box and, and my wife Katie has her, has her box and Justin has his box. We all have our boxes that we get into. And whenever we get in these boxes, what ends up happening is that we end up having a, a poor view of other people. That the way we view other people becomes distorted and we see a reality that is not actually reality. And it causes us to mistreat people. It causes us to have a poor per- perception of people. It causes us to really misbehave towards people. And all this book does, this book Leadership and Self-Deception, what it does is it tries to teach the reader how important it is to get out of the box. And you know, as I read this book, and and I'll I'll be honest, I'm not a great reader. (laughs) I know that's terrible as a preacher to say. I don't just love reading. I I like podcasts, audiobooks a lot more. But this book, once I started reading it, I couldn't put it down. And that, to me, is, is something special, especially it not being a sports book or something like that. For it to be a business book and for me not to be able to put it down, that says something. But one of the reasons I wasn't able to put the book down is not just because it was written in a narrative form. It was a story. But one of the reasons I couldn't put this book down, because as I read through this book, what I kept seeing jumping off the page was biblical wisdom. Biblical wisdom. These people that wrote this book, the Arbinger, Arbinger Institute, while they are very wise individuals, of course, they help people make a lot of money and run very smooth businesses. What I recognize as I read through this book is that these people, I mean, they kind of they stole what the Bible said first. And isn't that true about a lot of the, the really great books that we read? The great books, the, the, the uninspired man-written books that we read, that we read them like, wow, this is really profound. And then we think about, you know, I, I've actually read that before. And I read that before in The Inspired Word of God. And that's why I would notice about this book. That so many of the principles that were so beneficial that were found within this book were first found in the Word of God. And what I want to do this evening together is to consider three stories that are shared within this book. The problems that come with us being in our boxes. And then what I want to talk about is the biblical principles that are found within this book that help us to get out of the box and help us to really improve in the interpersonal relationships that we have within this life. You know, Paul wrote what he wrote in Philippians chapter 2, not just for our benefit so that life might be easier for us, but he wrote this for us because this is God's desire for us. God desires for us to live at peace with all men. That's what Paul says in Romans chapter 12. After he gets done writing, well, we have these 11 chapters of of deep, strong theology about what it means to be saved by the grace of God through faith and, and what Jesus did for us on the cross. He then turns around in chapter 12 and says, because you've been saved in this way, this is how I expect you to live as living sacrifices. And as he goes straight in after that to talk about the need for love within our life, one of the things that he says is, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with all people. It is God's will have good relationships with others and brethren we can have good relationships with others if we will build our relationships upon godly principles i'm convinced and i'm not just saying this because i like this book i'm saying this because i've seen this in my own life these principles i'm going to share with you today they hit me hard and i had to evaluate my life and evaluate some of the relationships i had that were not going that well i had to think think to myself Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe these relationships that I'm having, they're not great because I haven't been following this godly advice. And I stand before you honestly saying that once I put these things into practice, my relationships got better. Those relationships that I was struggling and that I constantly felt conflict in, that whenever I talked that person, I just felt uneasy and uncomfortable. That was alleviated to a degree. And sometimes entirely. Because I got out of my box, Can I encourage you this evening to open up your heart to receive these things from the Lord? Again, this, this is not, these things are not true because the Arbinger Institute wrote them. They're true because God first wrote them and inspired them many, many years ago. Let's look and see what, what, the, what this book says, though, about this whole thing about getting out of the box. Let me share with you the first story that is found within this book and the issue that comes along with it. Remember, what we have here is Tom, who is the manager, and Bud, who is his boss. Bud shares a story from earlier in his life that he was going on a plane ride, and this plane ride was open seating, meaning that it was first come, first served. basically. If you're at the front of the line, you've got to pick which seat you wanted to sit in. And he was near the front of the line, and he was able to find a row of seats. And, and this row of seats, I, I guess there was two or three seats, probably two seats per side, and there was a window seat, and the seat beside it was open. So what he did, he do is he sat down, and he put his briefcase in the aisle seat. And he crossed his leg, and he popped open a newspaper right there in that window seat. And to anybody that walked by him, they're thinking, oh, well, that man's just reading the newspaper. Oh, no, he wasn't. No, he had his eyes peeled over that newspaper, and he was watching like a hawk for anybody who looked at that seat? And if he saw anybody make any sort of move, any sort of intention to that, towards that seat, what did he do? Well, he took his laser like this and put it like that a little more. He took that newspaper and stretched it out a little more. He turned sideways a little more. He made that aisle seat that was open, look much less appealing because it began to look a lot smaller. Well, what was Bud doing? Well, what Bud was doing as he sat there in that seat, guarding with his life, this empty seat, is he was seeing those people who were walking down the aisle, he saw them as threats. He saw them as threats to his comfort. They saw him, or he saw them as threats, to, as people who were going to take away this spacious seat. That was not just a single seat. He was trying to take a double seat. He saw them as being people who were going to take that away from him. And that's the first thing that we do whenever we're in the boxes, is we begin to see people. We begin to see people as being less important than we are. That we see ourselves, I should say, we see ourselves as more important and more entitled than others. That's exactly what Bud was doing. As he sat there, he said, I got on this plane first. I got to this seat first. I deserve this space. I deserve. I'm I'm a a pretty important person. I'm upper level in my company. They're sending me to go do this work. I deserve to be as comfortable as possible. You know, before I I shook my head and scoffed at at Bud, I, I think I thought back to my own life and I thought about riding the school bus in the mornings. I was one of the first kids I was picked up, which was miserable in and of itself. But what that allowed for was for me to have my pick of seats on the bus. And remember, you know, most of these school bus seats, they could sit two people to seat. Well, what would I do? I would go to the seat that I want in whatever area of the bus I want, and I would sit down, and sometimes I would put my backpack on the seat. Sometimes I would just stretch out, have my feet sticking out into the aisle. Who cares if people had to go around me? That was their problem, not mine. But am I not acting exactly like Bud acted? I saw myself because I got up earliest. And because I got up earliest, I deserved the most comfortable seat on that bus. And if other kids, especially the little middle school kids, if they had to, if they had to sit three to a seat, then that just is what it is. You got to take your lumps before you get to the top, right? I saw myself as that big high school, that freshman, sophomore in high school. I saw myself as somebody important. I deserved more than they did. I was entitled more than other people were i did not just see myself as a person i saw myself as a capital t the person i was the person among persons on that bus i was more important i was more entitled they were i was somebody special that's the first issue we have the first problem whenever we find ourselves getting into the box here's a second situation for you though second situation Remember, this is Tom, is the manager, is meeting with his superior, Bud. And Bud caught wind of something that happened between Tom and one of his team members a couple weeks before this meeting. Tom had his office, and around the corner from his office was this big conference room. A big conference room with a big table and and a large whiteboard on one of the walls. And, And Tom was a sketcher. He liked to write out his ideas and write out plans And he had told all the people on his team, you don't go into that conference room, and you most certainly do not mess with the whiteboard, because he had been working on the whiteboard. Well, one of the ladies on his team, I guess didn't get the memo, didn't really think about it, she went into the conference room, and and she not only began to work in the conference room, but she did the worst thing possible. She erased everything that Tom had been doing on that whiteboard and put her own work up there. Tom walks into the room and he sees that he goes straight to the secretary. He says, who's been in there? Who's been in this room? And she says, oh, so and so. He said, I want her in my office now. She walks into the office and extends her hand out to shake Tom's. Tom just waves it away, does not invite her to sit down, doesn't ask her how her day's going, but he just goes in on her. Begins berating her, how dare you break the cardinal rule of this team? How dare you take my conference room and make it your own? Much worse, how dare you erase what I have put on the whiteboard? Do you know how long I have been working on that plan? The whole time the woman just stands there, standing there like a, like a dog who is being berated with her tail between her legs, just her eyes down. She, she looks like she's about to cry, the, the lower lip is Quivering. And Bud looks at Tom, and he says, listen, I understand that you're upset, but could you tell me, what was her name? And Tom thought, and he said, I don't know. But so so what you did is you brought, brought this woman into your office. You didn't shake her hand. You didn't offer a seat. And you simply chewed her out. And you can't even tell me what her name is. And Tom said, no, I cannot. What is this a symptom of? This is a symptom, first and foremost, of being in the box. But what is a symptom of is this problem that we find within the box. And the problem is that we view others as being tools to accomplish our own desires. See, what Tom did with his team, team, those who worked under him, is that he didn't see them as people. He only saw them as tools. Tools in his toolbox that were there purely to accomplish his plans, his goals, and his desires. And you know what? If there was a team member that didn't help him accomplish what he wanted to accomplish, what would he do with them? He would do with them exactly what you would do with any tool that's not getting the job done. He'd throw them out. Discard them as if they are truly just Dispensable tools Have you ever been on a team Sports team maybe Maybe you've been on a a project team For school Maybe at work you've been on a project team and, And you've found yourself in that type of situation Where you have just that one person on that team That's just really dead weight And they don't do anything to Help contribute to the project They don't do anything that helps To the completion of the goal How do we react to those people Do we treat them the same way that we find Tom treating this woman? Do we see them as just being dispensable? Do we see them as being useless? Do we treat them in such a way that we're not even willing to do the simplest of things, which is to ask them what their name is? Have you ever found yourself in that situation before? If you have, I'll suggest to you that in that moment, in that situation, you were in the box. And I know I've been in that situation before. I have been in the box. Here's the third story to share with you. Some years before this, Bud, again, Bud, the, the big boss that was giving this, this uh, training day, he was in bed, and his wife Nancy was in bed, and they had about a one, one-year-old son named David. And David began crying at some point. Within the night, I know nobody over here knows anything about babies waking up crying crying in the middle of the night. But David began crying and Bud heard David crying right as soon as it happened. And instantaneously at that moment, as soon as he hears David crying, Bud has this thought within him. He says, you know what? I should get up and go take care of him. I should get up and go change his diaper. I should get up and warm up the bottle. I should do that because my wife, I mean, she's been taking care of him all day. She deserves to be able to sleep through this. I'm sorry, husbands. I, it's part of the book. I got to share it. <laughs> but you know, he's still laid there. He's still laid there in bed. He had these good intentions. He understood that it would be a good thing. It might even be the right thing. For him to get up and to take care of his son. But instead of doing that, he did what the book calls betrayal. He betrayed his good intentions by instead remaining in bed whenever he knew he should get up. And as Bud laid there, guess who else continued to lay there? Nancy. And as both of them continued to lay there, and as David continues to cry in the other room... What begins to happen is that Bud begins to develop negative feelings towards Nancy. He begins to he think about Nancy, surely she hears him. There's no way she can't, she can't hear our son in there crying. Why is she not getting up? Well, she's being lazy, she's being unloving. You know what? She's being inconsiderate even of me. Doesn't she know that I work every single day to put food on our table, to clothe our family, and to put us in this nice house? Doesn't she know that I have to get up at 6.30 in the morning? Doesn't she understand that I'm tired from a long day at work? Why isn't she taking care of our son? And by the end of this whole ordeal, Bud sees his wife in completely... In a completely negative context. His perception of her has completely soured. But why? Why did Bud begin with good intentions and end at a point where he was feeling so angry toward his wife? Well, one of the reasons why, last two here, one of the reasons why is because he failed to consider, he failed to consider that he was in the situation because of his own doing. He failed to consider that the issues he was having at that moment, the negative feelings, they began because of his own decision making. And we're talking about choices this week in in these studies. And, And in this moment, Bud made a choice. He made a choice. He knew in that moment the right thing to do, and yet he made the choice not to act upon it. And it got him into this situation where he was, uh, where he had this horribly negative view of his wife. But remember, because he's in the box, it's a distorted view of his wife. Because more than likely, Nancy was not lazy. Nancy was not unloving. Nancy was not being inconsiderate. Could it be that Nancy... Could it be that maybe she was just dog tired All oh, the mom said, amen? Yeah, could it be that the mom was just tired from a long day of wrestling this little boy? That absolutely could have been the case. More than likely, that was the case. And yet, because of his choices, he had this negative view of his wife. And, but again, this all could have been avoided if he would have just done as he knew he ought to. The problem with us being in the box is that we fail to do to others as we know we ought to. But I knew in that moment, this is what I need to do. I need to take care of my son. But instead, he betrayed himself. And he got into this negative situation. And he never took the time to recognize, you know what? We're in this situation because of what I did. Because of what I have done. And I suspect that I'm probably not the only one here who can think of a past situations where a past situation where where things were just rough in a relationship, and where I thought you know all the issue lies with the other person, that all the conflicts, all all of the uneasiness, all of the struggle—it's his fault or it's her fault. Friends, are we not so quick to blame other people often? Whenever there's trouble within our lives, we want to blame other people but the reality often could be that we are the one we are the ones that are actually to blame that the root of the issue lies with us and it lies with us because of these other things we've talked about so this is what it looks like then to be in the box again whenever we're in this box this me box maybe you've heard it in terms of like a me bubble but whenever in this me box, this is what we do. We see others in a distorted fashion. We see them often in the worst light possible and we treat them horribly. We treat them extremely poorly and our relationships sour and they're unenjoyable and we just don't want to be around anybody because things are bad. Yet there is good news and the good news is that we can't get out of the box just as we often unknowingly put ourselves in the box we can very knowingly get ourselves out of the box and we can have good relationships with other people we can treat them well we can see them in a more appropriate and positive way so what are those solutions what are those solutions that we need to be doing in order to get out of the box let me tell you that as i mentioned that these are biblical principles Biblical principles that can be found in three main texts that we're going to look at in Philippians 2 and verses 1 through 5. We read that a bit ago. But also in Galatians 6, 1 through 5, and then Matthew, finally Matthew twenty two thirty six 36 through 40. That these four solutions we're going to talk about as we conclude our study, that these solutions are found within the Word of God. And as much as I appreciate the Arbinger Institute putting this book together, it didn't originate with them. It originated in the mighty mind of our God. So what are the solutions then? If these are the problems, if the problem is that we see ourselves as more more important and more entitled than others, if the problem is that we see other people as tools, if the problem is that we ourselves are the root of these issues, and if the problem is that we just simply fail to do what we ought to do, then what are the things we can do to fix these problems? Firstly is we can do as Philippians 2 and verses 1 through 5 says, we can view others as more important than ourselves. We can view others as more important than ourselves. Remember the story of the plane, the newspaper, the briefcase, all that kind of thing? He actually shares another story, Bud does. The exact polar opposite within the book of the situation he had with the first, first come, first served seating. He and his wife, Nancy, were on a plane this time. They were on a a flight, and there was a a ticketing snafu. There was a ticketing mishap to where he and his wife weren't going to be able to sit together on this plane ride. And as Bud and Nancy are, are at the front of this plane talking to the stewardess, trying to get everything figured out, this woman shows up out of nowhere, and she says, hey, are you guys having a ticketing problem? And they said yes, and she said, are you not able to sit together now? She said no. She's like, I have a solution. The seat that I'm sitting in the person beside me, that there is nobody there. Why don't you guys take my seat and the empty one beside it, and I'll take one of yours? What's that going to do? What's that going to do is that it's going to take a woman who has her own seat with space beside it. She's going to give that up in order to go sit by some strangers that she does not know. Again, it is the exact opposite of what Bud was doing in the first story from what we talked about. And what that woman did is exactly what Jesus calls us to do. What Jesus calls us to do is he calls us to look out for the interests of others and not just those of ourselves. That's what Paul says within the text here, Philippians chapter 2. Everyone should look out not only for his own interest, but also for the interest of others. That in and of itself is a difficult thing to do because that demands that we put aside self-centeredness. It demands that we put away seeking only what we desire. That's a tough commandment to do in and of itself. But I love what Paul does here. Paul gives what is a difficult commandment, what really goes against our nature to be selfish, self preservation, self benefit, self betterment. It goes against that, yet he gives a great example of someone who did that. And in fact, it's the greatest example of someone who did anything like this. And that, of course, is our Lord Jesus Christ. He gives the command in verses 3 and 4. Again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than ourselves. Everyone should, not, should look not out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Adopt the same attitude as that of Christ Jesus. Here's the command here's the motivation here's the example that you need to look towards look towards Christ Jesus what did Jesus do this is what Jesus did who existing in the form of God did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited instead he emptied himself by assuming the form of a servant taking on the likeness of humanity and when he had come as a man he humbled himself by being obedient to the point of death even death on a cross That our Lord Jesus Christ, though He had a home in heaven, though His presence was in heaven, though He existed in heaven in the most glorified of forms, He was willing to take on the form of a man. Though He was in heaven, in a perfect existence, with no issue at all, with no problems at all, no hunger, no thirst, no cold, no nakedness, He gave that up in order to take on the form of a man where He experienced hunger, where He experienced thirst, cold, nakedness, where He experienced these things, but not for His benefit, not because Jesus needed to experience this, but He did this for us. He did that for those who were unworthy because of what He did in leaving heaven and coming and coming and living as a man And living that perfect life where He he forsook all temptation and all sin. And as He offered Himself up on the cross, He offered Himself up as that Lamb of God which fulfilled the atonement that is needed for the perfect forgiveness of sins. The perfect forgiveness of sins that was not available through the blood of bulls and goats. But whose sacrifices looked forward to the sacrifice of Jesus. That His sacrifice fulfilled all of the sacrifices that had ever been made. And He made available, fulfilled, perfect, real-life salvation. Not because He needed it, but because we needed it. And brethren, if Jesus is willing to give up heaven, and if He's willing to come to die, then why can't we just be nicer to one another? Why can't we put others before ourselves? Why must we see ourselves as superior? Why must we see ourselves as entitled? If anybody is superior, if anybody is entitled, is it not Jesus? The King of kings, the Lord of lords, the creator of the entire universe. If anybody is entitled, it's Him. And yet He was willing to give it all up. For us, Well, maybe, maybe the reason we're not willing to do that is because we see other people as tools, right? We see them as tools simply for our use. So then the, sol- the second solution for us then is that we don't need to see people as tools. We need to see others for what they actually are. And that's people. We need to be willing to see others as people, Why do we need to do this? Well, number one, this might surprise all of us, but people don't appreciate it when they are seen as less than human. People don't appreciate it whenever they are seen and used just as tools. We can't see people like that. We have to see people as people. People who are just like us. People who, like ourselves, have desires have hopes, have goals, have dreams, have things they are trying to accomplish. We have to see other people as people. We cannot see ourselves as the only person in the room. We need to see ourselves as just another person among other persons. Again, do nothing out of selfish ambition or empty conceit, but in humility consider others as more important than yourselves. Everyone should not only look out for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. When we're willing to do that, when we're willing to see other people as image bearers of God, I dare say there will be a dramatic change in the way we are able to relate to other people and not just relate to other people, but how they respond to us in our interactions. And that isn't to say that we can't work in teams and where people need to do their job. I mean, even within a church. We understand that everybody has different roles and everybody needs to fulfill that role in order for the whole body to work together as it ought to. Everybody needs to do exactly as every joint supplies. But the way we treat people has to be with dignity and respect. Each and every person that makes up this local church ought to know that they are cared for ought to know that they are loved, ought to know that they are appreciated. And I feel so confident that if there is a relationship here where people have a hard time getting together and going in the same direction, might I suggest that we begin begin to see that person (coughs) as a person and we begin to love and care for them more. And the interesting thing is, That when people begin to feel as if they are truly cared for and they are truly loved, here's a little secret, they're much more willing to buy in. Even if it's not something that they like originally, even if initially it isn't something they think is a good idea, if they believe that those who are making these decisions have their best interests at heart for reals, people are going to be much more willing to buy in. And go with what is being proposed and decided upon. We have to see people as people, not as tools. And maybe if we find ourselves in the box and we're just kicking, we're we're beating our head against the box because we just can't get out of it. We just keep having these difficult relationships with other people. Maybe it's time for us then at this point to, to, to really pump the brakes, come to a standstill, and just objectively examine ourselves objectively examine ourselves it can be so easy for us as i mentioned earlier to think that everyone else around us has a problem you know i have had problems with my spouse at home my kids they just don't listen to me they don't respect me on the workplace people are not willing to work with me at the church people don't want to hear what i have to say even at the grocery store, people just give me dirty looks. What's interesting about that is, we're, I'm sitting here saying that all these other people have a problem with me and that my relationships with them are not very good, but isn't there truly only one commonality in all those situations? Isn't that commonality me? Could it not be that if I have all these other issues with all these other people in the world and all these different other situations and contexts, could it not be that maybe I'm the reason it's not going so great? Remember what we talked about last night with David, Bathsheba, Nathan, Uriah? And Nathan comes to David and gives the story about the rich man, the poor man, the little ewe lamb. David's so upset that this rich man would take the poor man's little ewe lamb that he says that, that he ought to be punished to the greatest degree. And what does Nathan say? He said, Nathan said, David, you're the man. You are the man. You are the rich man who has taken what does not belong to you. That was precious to someone else. David was so blinded to what he had done. David was in the box. And a big metal box with lots of locks on it too, wasn't he? But thankfully in that moment, because of what Nathan said, David was able to recognize that he was at fault. He had made the mistakes. And he admitted that I have sinned against God. And he begged for forgiveness. Maybe we find ourselves in that same situation sometimes. That our relationships are not great because we have the failures. We have the shortcomings. Maybe we easily see the mistakes that everybody else makes. but well, we just really fail to see our own. And that's one of the reasons why it's so important for us to not allow ourselves to get into the box. We don't need to allow other people's minor mistakes to be exaggerated within our own minds because we're seeing them through the distorted walls of the box. No, we need to keep things in their proper context. We need to see things exactly as they actually are. That's why whenever we see somebody overtaken in a wrongdoing, as Galatians 6 and verse 1 says, if we see them Overtaken in a wrongdoing, you who are spiritual, restore such one with a spirit of gentleness. Let me suggest to you that when we're in the box, it's really hard to give a spirit of gentleness. It's really hard to do that. That's why we have to get out of the box. But more so watching out for ourselves, for yourselves, so that you also won't be tempted. Carry one another's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And if anyone considers himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Let each person examine his own work, and then he can take pride in himself alone and not compare himself with someone else. When we're in the box, we don't want to be gentle. When we're in the box, we're not going to consider that we might be at fault When we're in the box, we think we're something when often we are nothing. We have to get out of the box. And sometimes that's going to begin by us simply sitting down and recognize, you know, maybe I am too demanding. Maybe I am too stubborn. Maybe I am too obstinate. Whatever I might be that is contributing to these issues... I have to be willing to acknowledge them. I have to be willing to try to rectify them. And really what that's doing then is that's doing the right thing towards others. That's our final solution. Final solution is to make sure that we're just doing the right thing when we know it is the right to do. Remember Bud got himself in trouble with his wife Nancy and with their son David because he knew it was the right thing for him to do in that moment to get up and to go take care of their son so that his wife could sleep and yet he betrayed himself and at that very moment he put himself on a bad path that led to him seeing his wife in a completely inappropriate and inaccurate way. She was not lazy, she was not unloving, she was not inconsiderate, she was asleep. Yes, she was tired. And then he felt this way because he just wasn't willing to do the right thing. All of it could have been avoided. All of it could have been avoided. And so many issues within our own lives could be avoided. If we simply know the right thing to do and we're willing to do it. James 4.17, it is sin to know the good. And yet, not to do it. And so often in our relationships, they're going to be better if we just ask ourselves this important question Would I appreciate it if someone else either did or didn't do this thing to me that I'm about to do or not to do? That's what people, that's, that's what the book suggests. But you know what? Again, I've heard that before. And that sounds a lot like Matthew 22. The man comes to Jesus. What are the greatest commands? The first one to love your Lord, your God, all well, of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. But the second is this: you are to love your neighbor as yourself. And if you would not appreciate if someone did this thing to you, then you don't do it to other people. And that, if you know that in this situation you would appreciate it if they did it to you then you need to do it to other people. And if we ask their question, would they appreciate that? And the answer is no, then don't do it. It's really that simple. If we want to have better relationships, then we simply need to do the right thing towards other people. Now, if you're like me and you read this book, you're thinking, wow, this is so profound. (laughs) I've never heard this before but yet we have. And it's important that whenever we read any books written by men and we find godly principles in there that we we make sure we give credit where credit is due and all credit goes to God. All to His honor, all to His glory. He knows what is best for us. And what's best for us when it comes to our relationships with other people is that we embrace the need for Humility that we embrace the need for love, that we embrace the need for objectivity, and that we embrace the need for service. And if we find ourselves in these relationships, in these interpersonal relationships with our family, with our spouse, with our children, with our brethren in the church, with our co-workers on the job place, just at random in public, and please... Please, I ask that you would consider these things. That you would make the choice to humble yourself. That you would make the choice to love others. That you would make the choice to be objective. That you would make the choice to serve. Because in that moment, whenever you make these choices to either get out of the box or to stay out of the box, you're choosing God. Because this is His will. That we do the best we can As far as it is in our power to live at peace with all people. Let's pray. Our loving Father, we come before you acknowledging you as the one true and living God. You you desire that we don't just love you with everything that we are, but you desire that we love others. Father, we know far too often we fail in this regard that we are selfish, we're unloving, we're blinded to ourselves and we only want to serve ourselves. God, we ask that you defeat us in those moments, that we would kick those things out of our minds, that we would, we would take them out of our hearts and that we will be a people of humility, of love, that we will see things as they actually are and that we'll seek to do what is best for other people. Lord, we have the perfect example of one who did that in Your Son, in our Savior, Jesus Christ. Father, help us to be more like Him each and every day, not only in our faithfulness and obedience to You, but in the way that we treat our neighbor. Father, help us to recognize if we're in the box. Help us to escape it. Help us to remain out of it. Help us to show the love that You have for us towards all those who are around us. Thank you so much for your word that guides us into all truth. May our hearts be open, soft, and humble to receive it and to act upon it. And It is in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ, that we pray these things. Amen.